morning. Rise and freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. How's everybody feeling today? Ah, bright and early. All right, let's do our stretches. There we go. All right, it's time. Is the coffee brewing? We're ready to rock. Man, have we got an awesome show for you today. We have got three extra special guests. And of course, it's Wednesday, so that means it's big brain time. Starting at 7.30 a.m. Central Time today on the show, we're going to speak to live and in studio, in person, Missouri State Representative Ben Baker. He's going to talk to us this morning about the governor of Missouri sending the National Guard to the U.S. border to defend it against the illegal aliens. How do you feel about that? Is that the proper role of the National Guard? Bring them home from overseas. Put them on America's border. Sounds like the kind of thing that Vivek Ramaswamy might like, especially considering that it's possible he might be the next vice president of the United States. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, my God. God, there's too much good news to start the day with. We're not going to be able to fit all this in. We'll have to really squish to get it all. Judge Napolitano joins us at 8 a.m. for the Big Brain Time. What's up, Injum77? Good morning. Should be out of the doghouse today. What were you doing in the doghouse in the first place? Glad to have you here. Do me a favor, guys. Click that like button on the stream. Subscribe to the channel if it's your first time here. I know for many of you it will be. We're going to talk to uh, Liberty Anders. Maggie Anders will be joining us this morning at 8.30. Javier Malay goes to Washington. That's right. Javier Malay is now in the United States, and it's kind of like when the Beatles come to America for Liberty lovers like us. We're all just kind of freaking out. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, guys. Don't panic. Don't panic. Javier Malay's here. Everybody stay calm. <laughs> don't freak out. He, yesterday, he met with Senator Marco Rubio, which I found kind of odd because I know Marco Rubio doesn't like libertarians or libertarianism. So I wondered why he was so uh, uh, keen uh, to uh, publicize his meeting with Javier Malay. But you know what? I think we all kind of understand how politicians work. We're going to hear from Maggie Anders about Javier Malay's trip to Washington, D.C. Sounds like he's going to be giving a speech at CPAC this weekend, which I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Oh my How God. Dare you? Anyways, I'm not scared. We're going to hear from Antonio Martinez on Monday to give us a recap of the Javier Malay speech that will happen on Saturday. Apparently, Javier Malay has a meeting uh, with Donald Trump as well. We're all excited to hear about the outcome of that meeting. God, it's too exciting. It's too much. There's too much fun stuff happening, and uh, Barney Styles is already letting the cat out of the bag, saying Tim Scott's going to be the VP. No, Come on. God. No, God. Why would you go for Tim Scott when you have a perfectly good Vivek Ramaswamy? All right, so where did all of these uh, these rumors come from about Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, Christy Noam, Ron DeSantis? What? Okay, well, it came from Donald Trump's, well, a sort of a confirmation in a big interview, wide ranging interview that he did with Laura Ingram yesterday that just dropped. And of course, AP's got the spicy clips. You know, I'm going to have the news for you. We don't just goof around on this show. We actually keep you informed, right? Right. All right. Have a listen. The audience has uh, been asked who they think would be a good choice. And various names came up. Um, 
one of them was, of course, Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. He's made a big splash. Ron DeSantis, who's made, making an appearance today in South Carolina, we just found out. Um, obviously, Tim Scott, Byron Donalds, and a, a big uh, presence here for Tulsi Gabbard. Um, very interesting. Tulsi Gabbard. Okay. Of all of the candidates, I'd have to say that would be my least favorite because despite the fact that Tulsi is pretty good on foreign policy, um, she's pretty bad on other stuff. Pretty typical Democrat on a lot of other things. Are, and Christy Noem as well, I should say. Right. Are, are, Christy Noem, me likey. Are they all on your short list? And when can, you, when can we expect that you will so announce your choice? The one thing that always surprises me is that the VP choice has absolutely no impact it's whoever the president is. It just seems uh, I remember when Sarah Palin was actually picked and she did have a big up. And then uh, they just went after her at a level that nobody seen. The Republicans themselves went after what they did. But you'll be a one term president because you've already served. Yeah. So you can only serve for one term, although they say you'll never leave office. I assume uh, yeah, that you'll just, never leave. There'll never be an ele- another say, election. Don't again. do it. He'll never leave. He's yeah. never going. Oh, these people. They um, so for that reason, it is important. So, who you're, who you so I think it's very important. But look. First is that, as we said, it has to you know, do with whoever is, you know, it's a very important position for that reason. Uh, you would like to get somebody that could help you from the voter standpoint. And honestly, all of those people are good. They're all good. They're all solid. And I always say I want people with common sense because there's so many things happening in this country that don't make sense. Who wants an open border? Who wants high interest rates? Who wants all electric vehicles? And they're fine. But you want to have choice. You want to go to combustion. You want to go to. To, uh, the, any hybrid. I think the hybrid are much better from that standpoint. But you talk, we were talking about faucets. We're talking about, we're talking about so much. It's all based on common sense. We want a strong military. We want choice in education. Okay, yes, we do want all those things. Thank you, Mr. President. We do want all those things, but we want Vivek. We want Vivek. We want Vivek. At least I do. And listen, I know it's selfish, but for me, there's a lot of practical reasons to have Vivek Ramaswamy on the ticket as well. One, I think that he would actually watch Trump's back versus uh, his previous VP. The problem, of course, is that Trump may not want somebody who's kind of like he is, kind of a celebrity sort of type, right? Big personality out there, loud and proud. I don't mind it, but I know that the Trump people may not care for that as the VP role. Of course, the other con is that, you know, he doesn't have experience in government, which, you know, a lot of people said about me when I ran for office as well, but neither did Donald Trump. So there you go. There's another argument for uh, in favor of the pro segment of that. But in terms of um, the policy views that Vivek Ramaswamy holds, he's not only the closest to what Donald Trump believes, but he's the closest to what it is that I believe. And as a liberty loving Republican, uh, I love what Vivek Ramaswamy has said in the past for his policies. Do I agree with him on everything? No. There were a couple of times that he said things that I, you know, recoiled at. As a matter of fact, I thought that he was uh, being a little cowardly when it came to the question of Harvard students being canceled after the October 7th attacks. We can talk about that a little bit later. He said that he would ban TikTok and then he walked that back, which I was glad to see. So there are some things that Vivek has said that I've kind of, you know, I thought were a little squirrely. But most of what he has said has been absolutely down the line, solid, make America great again, limited government, pro-liberty, 
hanging out with Ron Paul on the weekends, uh, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's policies, for me, two thumbs up if, if he gets a nod. We would also accept. Uh, we would also accept uh, Christine Noem, uh, governor of South. Uh, was it South Dakota? <laughs> South Dakota, who did a great job during the pandemic uh, and has been one of the more liberty leaning legislators, and Ron DeSantis also apparently on this short list as well. Tim Scott, moderate, okay. Nikki Haley, probably never going to happen. Take a listen. Our to party. This. Some people used to say I was running because I really wanted to be vice president. I think I've pretty well settled that question. Has she settled that question? Well, I settled it about three months ago. All right, I'll just say this. Now, I hate to to pee-pee in anybody's coke this morning, but I'll say this. If Donald Trump thinks that the only way he can win re-election is to have Nikki Haley as the VP, well, it might happen. Now, I know some of you right now are pulling a Greta Thunberg on me, but reality is reality, and politics makes strange bedfellows, okay? So don't be surprised if at the last minute we see something like that. uh, Will Donald Trump debate Joe Biden between now and November? Great question. Back to Biden and his current state, whatever you want to call it. Will you challenge him to regular debates, regardless of the concern about the moderators? I know that's always annoying, but I'll I'll be happy to moderate one, by the way. Um, Would you would you challenge him? uh, Come on, Joe, you can do it. Will you challenge him to a debate regularly on focus specific topics? In other words, so it's not a wide ranging, just one debate on foreign policy. Well, I'll do it right now on your show. I'll challenge him right now. And I, we can do you. You can do anybody you want. I, I'll take anybody from uh, CNN, which is doing very poorly in the ratings, by the way, as you probably know. I, I, I'll take anybody because I think you have an obligation in this case. You really have an obligation to debate. When it came to the Republicans, you know, I was up by 40, 50, 60 points like being up on her. Uh, I think a poll just came out. I'm at 91 and she's at seven. And would you debate? You want to be smart. You don't have to waste your time doing. But that would be instructive to see you versus Biden on any given topic. Regardless of poll numbers, I'm way up on him now in the polls. Okay. yes, for sure. Okay, true. So he was explaining there why he didn't debate his Republican opponents, but it would be smart to debate Joe Biden. Okay, this makes good sense. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Real quick, before we move on to the topic, I just want to uh, remind you guys about the bonus content for today. You guys have been instrumental in unlocking beautiful mini documentaries that I have been producing for the last couple of weeks, and they've been incredibly popular. And I'm grateful to you all for spending the money each day to unlock this bonus content. Yesterday's I thought was very popular. The least libertarian presidents last week. Uh, in the lead up to President's Day, I did a five part series about the top five most libertarian presidents. This week, the bonus content that you can unlock by the end of the show are the least libertarian presidents in U.S. history. In the last two days, we've had Woodrow Wilson mini documentary and FDR's mini documentary. Today's mini documentary is probably my favorite one that I have produced so far. If you would like to see one of the top five least libertarian presidents documentaries, and I highly recommend that you do today's maybe my favorite that I've produced. So I'm really hoping that it doesn't go away and it doesn't uh, that it gets unlocked by the end of this show. 
Uh, today's mini documentary can be unlocked by making at least a $50 donation by the end of the show today. So by 9 a.m. today. And since we've got three interviews packed back to back, I'm not going to have a lot of time to sort of exhort you to make a Rumble Rant donation or purchases at APForLibertyShop.com also qualify. So buy a couple boxes of coffee, maybe a Javier Malay t-shirt and a couple of $5 Rumble Rant donations and we're in. Somebody buys a Javier Malay hoodie and somebody makes a $5 donation, that's enough to go ahead and unlock the content. So here's how it works. If you unlock the, if we get at least $50 in Rumble Rant donations cumulatively, it doesn't have to be one $50 donation, but it can be, by the end of the show, then you will unlock today's mini documentary that I have produced exclusively for this show today. And if you unlock it, you will be able to watch the documentary. If we don't unlock it by the end of the show, it goes away forever. And I, I'm kind of like nervous about today's just because I worked so hard on it. And it's a beautiful little uh, mini documentary for you to unlock. So make a Rumble Rant donation, uh, uh, make a purchase at APForLibertyShop.com. And if we get $50 by the end of the show, then we will unlock that mini documentary. What do you say? <laughs> unlock the doc. My lovely wife says, okay, so let's continue here. Uh, Nikki Haley. So she comes out and she says that she's not dropping out. She's going to stay in the race. Nick, uh, Nikki Haley is going to probably going down in flames. Uh, <clears throat> This weekend, Nikki Haley uh, will be uh, uh, going to South Carolina, her home state. She says even if she loses this weekend, her home state, she's not dropping out. What the hell? Makes no sense. She says that her uh, Mr. Trump will have to defeat her the old-fashioned way at the ballot box. She says we don't anoint kings in this country. We have elections, and Donald Trump, of all people, should know we don't rig elections. Well... It wouldn't be a rigged election if you just dropped out, Nikki. Nobody wants you here. And for those of you who might not be keen on inter-party politics, here's the thing. The reality of who the presidential candidate is is not necessarily decided by how people vote in their primaries, convention, uh, uh, primaries and caucuses across the country. Primaries and caucuses can just essentially be show primaries or show caucuses. A lot of people don't understand how a presidential candidate is actually picked. The truth is, is that presidential candidates are actually picked at conventions, which happen once a year at one location. This year's Republican National Convention will be in Milwaukee, and the presidential candidate is picked there. Thank you to Nancy Solorio, by the way. She dropped $10 in the tip jar. Real Hunter Human is joining us. Uh, he says, good morning from... Ramos Meja, Buenos Aires, Argentina. What's up? Thank you to JJ4884 as well. He dropped uh, $10 in the tip jar. We've raised $20 towards our $50 goal. Yes, today's mini documentary is the best ever. I think it's the highest quality mini documentary that I have produced so far. So I do hope we will be able to unlock it by the end of the show. Uh, and good morning to our friend from Buenos Aires, Argentina. We'll be talking about Javier Malay trip in his trip to Washington, D.C. about one hour from now. So if you're busy this morning, and you want to come back and join us uh, a little bit later because you've got to make some delicious coffee or some yerba mate down there, then uh, uh, you can come back in one hour. We'll be discussing him then. Although we'd love it if you'd just stick around with us as we discuss U.S. politics. Um, <clears throat> Nikki Haley thinks that she sticks around. I, I, maybe she just doesn't understand 
how the nomination process works at the end, which she should, because somebody who's this high level in Republican Party politics and who is the governor of actual state should know that at the end of the day, the person who is the vote winner at the Republican National Convention is the person who will be the Republican nominee. And it could go all the way to the convention, and it wouldn't matter if Nikki Haley had won several states, which she wouldn't, she's not going to, because the Republican Party and the delegates at the RNC, they're the ones who are going to vote for the presidential candidate. If Donald Trump were to keel over today, and Nikki Haley were to start winning states all the way up until we hit 51, uh, and I know we don't have 51 states, but we do have 51 uh, primaries and caucuses, um, Washington, D.C. Uh, so they can go all the way to the RNC convention, and the delegates can just choose somebody else. See, the, the, I learned this the hard way, because in 2008 and 2012, when I, as a member of the Ron Paul revolution, were trying to get Ron Paul to become the presidential pick at the RNC, we all didn't know diddly squat about how to get Ron Paul elected. We thought, oh, well, if we just win these conventions or if we just win these uh, uh, these state elections, then we're going to be able to um, we're going to be able to have Ron Paul be the uh, the candidate. Right. But that's not how it works at all. Actually, as a matter of fact, it's it doesn't work like that in any way, shape or form. The real candidate gets picked at the Republican Party's national convention by the delegates. They're the ones who decide who the presidential candidate will be. And even if Nikki Haley were to start winning primaries and caucuses, at the end of the day, the delegates are not going to pick Nikki Haley. It's not going to happen. <laughs> They're going to pick somebody else. They would just find somebody else to be a stand-in for, for uh, Donald Trump, and they would not choose Nikki Haley. The Republican Party has just not gone that way. And honestly, that's great news. I think for those of us... For those of us who would like to see a push away from the era of George W. Bush and big government and neoconservatism, those of us who would like to see something like that, you know, to have the Republican Party move in a more limited government direction, are glad to see that the Republican Party has moved away from that. And is it's the Republican Party is is probably closer to Vivek Ramaswamy ideologically than they are Nikki Haley. But at the end of the day, it is a free country and Nikki Haley is free to run and to waste all of her donors' money. Uh, and to continue to waste all of her activists' time uh, going out there knocking doors and, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and doing whatever it is that they want to do. Good. Waste all of your time when, in reality, we all know what's going to happen at the end of the day. All right. Congratulations to you, the viewer and listener of the Wake Up America show. Not only did we get $20 in Rumble Rant donations, but thanks to one of our listeners who just went and purchased three boxes of Founding Flavors coffee at the shop, you just unlocked the bonus content. And Joni Rankin just put us way over the top. She's guessing Hamilton. Okay, well, you don't know who it is, but I think you're going to love it. My latest mini documentary, the absolute best one that I've produced until maybe tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> The absolute best mini documentary that I may have produced ever coming right now. We're going to go to a break. Looks like Ben Baker just walked in the door. We're going to get him on the set. Here we have one of the least libertarian presidents in U.S. history. Enjoy the show. Along with the Lyndon Baines Johnson administration from a libertarian perspective, Lyndon B. Johnson's presidency is remembered for significant domestic programs and a controversial war in Southeast Asia, showcasing his complex legacy. His towering stature and persuasive tactics, known as the Johnson Treatment, helped push through major legislation but also led to a deeply divisive war. 
In his famous Great Society speech that lent a name to Johnson's ambitious program for an activist central government, Johnson derided unbridled growth, calling instead for a society where progress is the servant of our needs. In Johnson's mind, private institutions had manifestly failed to meet the needs of the American people. Johnson called for a creative federalism to defeat the soulless wealth that apparently confronted America in 1964. Fiscal recklessness was evident even during Johnson's presidency, with the $3.6 billion annual cost of the Vietnam War added to large increases in domestic spending to drive up inflation in the late 1960s. With the dollar weakened, the gold crisis of 1968 saw the United States hemorrhaging gold purchases, losing $372 million of gold on March 14th alone. It is clear that most of Johnson's major initiatives, such as the war on poverty, failed or have had damaging consequences. Perhaps more importantly than their failure as matters of policy, Johnson's expansion of federal spending and oversight helped to dramatically upset the balance between local, state, and federal governments. Despite a history of U.S. involvement in Vietnam prior to his presidency, Johnson's escalation of the conflict is a major critique of his administration. The Vietnam War overshadowed his domestic achievements, casting a long shadow over his legacy. Johnson inherited a complex situation in Vietnam where U.S. involvement had deepened over previous administrations. This context made disengagement difficult, influencing his decisions during his term. The political landscape of the early 1960s, particularly with the Civil Rights Act and the threat of communism, pressured Johnson to maintain a strong stance in Vietnam, complicating any withdrawal plans. Johnson's administration planned for more aggressive actions in Vietnam, signaling a deeper commitment to the conflict, despite public and international concerns. The Gulf of Tonkin incidents provided Johnson with the pretext to launch airstrikes and significantly escalate U.S. military involvement in Vietnam, despite uncertainties about the event's details. Johnson's presentation of the Gulf of Tonkin incidents to Congress and the public omitted crucial context, securing a resolution that granted him broad war powers. The Gulf of Tonkin resolution marked a turning point, enabling Johnson to escalate the Vietnam War significantly a decision that would have profound implications for his presidency and the country. Despite the controversy surrounding Vietnam, Johnson achieved a landslide victory in the 1964 elections, further emboldening his war policies. Johnson's decision to escalate the Vietnam War in 1965, despite its unpopularity and dubious legality, revealed a willingness to mislead the public and Congress about the war's scope and intentions. The bombing campaign Rolling Thunder and the subsequent troop increases marked a significant escalation in the conflict, deepening U.S. involvement in Vietnam without clear objectives or public support. Johnson's management of the Vietnam War, characterized by limited engagement strategies and lack of transparency, led to a protracted conflict that ultimately damaged his presidency and left a contentious legacy. Good morning, rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. How did you guys like that little mini documentary that I produced just for you? Was that the best one yet? I think so. I worked so hard last night to put that together for you, and I'm so thankful that you, the listener and the viewers, were so keen to see it that you donated well over $50 and you bought a ton of stuff from apforlibertyshop.com. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you. You're helping 
keep the ideas of economic freedom and personal liberty alive. And I'll keep producing these awesome bonus contents as long as you keep buying them. So thank you again very much for your support of the show. The Wake Up America show brought to you by viewers and listeners just like you. All right, it's time to get back to the news. The National Guard of Missouri going to, well, not Iraq, not Afghanistan, but to protect our borders, possibly. Missouri Governor Mike Parson announced yesterday that he would be deploying the Missouri National Guard to the southern border to defend against an invasion of illegal immigrants. We're going to speak now to my fellow Missourian from Southwest Mo, Ben Baker, former mayor of Neosho, now a state representative, joining us live. Good morning, Ben. How you doing, brother? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you here. So uh, you're in the legislature these days. Things are quite contentious. Um, I think that's an understatement. But one of the things I think as Missourians we all agree on is that we need to have proper border security. Uh, Governor Mike Parson announced yesterday he would be sending the National Guard to the border. Your reaction to that? So I actually sent a letter to the governor uh, when all this started happening in Texas, and uh, especially when the federal government, the Biden administration, going after Texas for protecting their own border, um, and urged the governor to do what we can uh, as Missourians and what we have the authority and the power to do to help in that situation, because I think it affects us as well. What's happening at the southern border uh, is not just about Texas. It's not just about us nationally. But it it really does affect Missouri as well. And I think uh, the biggest problem with it, it's, it's the one thing that everyone is talking about. I think it's the number one issue that my constituents are concerned about uh, with the people pouring in through the border that are unvetted. And I think there's a lot of problems with that. And so um, I think it's a good thing that we can try to do something to help. I, I do think that there we did have some troops down there, uh, but I think this is uh, the governor just saying we we can do more. So what what do you think the um, incentive is on the Biden, behalf of the Biden administration to have the border security be so lax? Why would they do this? So I have my ideas and I think uh, voter registration uh, or recruitment, I guess you could say, is probably one of the top issues. Now, uh, of course, the you know, what's coming across right now, illegals can't vote. But there are some states that are trying to change that and to make it to where illegals can vote. Um, and then I think you have an issue too, trying to get people in these areas where redistricting in 10 years uh, for congressional districts, because they are counted in that in the census. Um, and so I think that's a part of it as well. And then I think it's just become such a polarizing political issue, uh, you know, in, in our our political climate that we have. Now, speaking of politi uh, polarizing political issues here in the state of Missouri, there has been this massive battle over intellectual property reform that has seemed to me, Ben, to be about everything but intellectual property. Um, the Missouri Freedom Caucus, which uh, was uh, has been quite contentious, uh, tweeted this yesterday. They said, sad day in the Missouri Senate. Nine Senate Republicans joined nine Democrats to allow non-citizens to vote in Missouri elections and foreign governments like China and Russia to spend money to influence U.S. elections. I know this is rather new news to you as well. Sound as 
sounds like a poison pill, but you know, what's your take on this? I haven't really read into it yet to see what happened yesterday. I think it's on the initiative petition bill uh, that that amendment was filed, but I'm not sure as to the motivation for that. It sounds just absolutely ridiculous to me to to say that we can allow those things in uh, in our elections. And so um, I, I think it's crazy. But again, the, the Senate is so broken right now, and it's become about personal vendettas rather than policy. And I think that's a problem. And I think it affects all of us. And so I don't know, I, I'll read into it and see exactly what happened with that bill and, and what the language looks like, because I think they did perfect something on initiative petition yesterday. But I, I haven't seen yet what that looks like. I spoke to Senator Bill Eigel on this show a few weeks ago about his push to make it illegal for China to be able to um, own property here in the state of Missouri. Uh, and the governor seemed to work on a compromise where they made it illegal for China or Chinese nationals to own property that is within, what is it, 10 miles of, I think so. of military yeah. bases? But, okay. But 10 and a half would be fine. Oh, yeah. That's what I, that's, <laughs> that's what I was laughing about. I was kind of like, oh, right, well, 10 and a half, you know, I mean, what do you think, what should really happen here? I mean, and, and note this, Ben, you know, so I'm not, you know, I'm not just trying to set you up here. Hitachi which is owned by Japan, right across the river here in Jefferson City, creates a lot of good paying yeah. jobs. So, I mean, he said no foreign ownership at all. Britain, Japan, our allies, France, you can't set up a cheese factory here in Jefferson City. Yeah, I think you have to be careful with that language, but I think it's an issue that we need to address. You know, we had a bill, a good bill that actually uh, last year we passed out of the House talking about foreign ownership of land, but then the Senate screwed it up. And when they sent it back to us, they actually expanded the ability because then it wasn't about farmland, uh, which currently if if uh, they own farmland, they have to farm it. But if they change that to where it was just any land, they could just buy up land and sit on land and not have to do anything with it, which I think is worse. And so last year we said, we're not passing this bill in the House. We're not bringing it up. I think it needs addressed, but I think it's you have to be careful how you do that um, because, you know, it affects a lot of things when it comes to business in our state. But um, I do. The, I, I think the executive order that was done was was kind of weak. Oh, OK. Well, good to know. Right thing to say here on the show. Uh, good morning. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, I'm your host, Austin Peterson. We're glad to have you here. Click the like button and subscribe to the channel. My friend Ben here has got his own podcast, so maybe he'll learn a thing or two about how to promote. So you're going to join the show every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. You will join the Wake Up America show. Now, we won't coerce you, but we'd love it if you join us on the regs, uh, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. You can text the show. Let us know what's on your mind. Maybe you've sent us a text already. I should check those. You can send us a text at 573-319-1586. If you have a question for me or for Ben Baker, uh, Missouri State Representative, then send it in now. Again, at 573-319-1586. One more time. Get it in your head. Program, program it into your phone. 573-319-1586 is the text line. And we're speaking to Missouri State Representative Ben Baker. All right, Ben, now you're trying to get some bills across the finish line. You were talking about the use of artificial intelligence, which definitely got my interest because I use maybe seven or eight different AI software programs every day. And I'm kind of PO'd this morning because I produce a lot of content about Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And <laughs> as of this morning, one of my software programs says, until the election is over, you cannot produce images oh, wow. of Donald Trump or Joe Biden, which is a real kick in the nads. Yeah. I'll tell you for me, because I'm a political content producer and basically this takes aim at me. 
you want to do something related to artificial intelligence and politics as well. Go ahead. So I think this is an issue that we're faced with having to address. Uh, and again, how you do that is is important and critical. Uh, obviously, the the advancement of AI has been so quick uh, and, and it's unbelievable what you can produce with video and audio to sound just like a person yeah. saying and doing something into the untrained eye. You really can't tell the difference. Um, so my bill specifically just deals with this uh, using those images or audio in elections. For instance, if you wanted to produce a video of your opponent saying something or doing something, you know, maybe they're doing a speech and they, they look like a, a drunken chimpanzee trying to do that, which that we see funny. all the time with... <laughs> With, uh, with our president, unfortunately, but, uh, and then trying to use that to attack the character of the person by, you know, producing something that's completely false and then deceiving voters to think that that is truly that person. You don't think anybody thinks that a chimpan drunken chimpanzee is a real image of the president, do you? Come on, Ben. No, I'm just saying that sometimes the speeches uh, come across that way a little bit. But don't. OK, well, that's funny. But, but don't you think something like that would be invalidated by a court if it were to wouldn't that get wouldn't you get sued and lose on that from free on free speech grounds? Because I would sue you. But <laughs> it could it could sway an election, you know, and really? so I think it's possible. Uh, I mean, you drop a video like that. Now, I do. It, my bill does have a time limit. So it's like 90 days prior to the election date. Uh, and so, you know, there's some guardrails there, but I, I think but there's we, no protection for satire. I mean, like, there is. I mean, cause like a monkey thing no, like you use, that's a satire carved out. Okay. So, all yeah. right. That's, that's, we, different. we don't want to ruin comedy. No, we this don't for sure. So important. I, I think something like that would probably get overturned. I, for example, during the, the commercials of my show, um, I have, uh, Donald Trump who is like, I love the wake up America show and it's, and it's his voice. Right. Yeah. So I used artificial intelligence. Right. Uh, to make it yeah. sound exactly like Trump. He's like, his Wake Up right. America show is the best, you know, it's the greatest, yeah. you know, tune in and watch it. And and I use, in, in order to ensure that like, you know, okay boomers who turn tune in aren't confused, right. I use a video of a bobblehead yeah. of Trump talking in order for them to be like, okay. I do the same thing with, with Joe Biden. I use like Great a cartoon, cartoon puppet. Um, so, I mean, the thing is, is that my problem with things like this is that it's always... Whenever a bill like that or something like that is passed, it's always with like the best intentions, but they ne the law is never enforced against the bad guys. The law is only ever enforced against guys like yeah, me right. trying to do a podcast like that. I'm the guy who's going to get screwed on, on, on this one. So I'd ask you to just maybe reconsider that one, Ben, because yeah, well, I think free speech you got to way outweighs trying to get the language to the right place. That's well, well, just part of it. Well, can I tell you what I think is is would be useful is if you're going to go that route. You know, things like making actual nude photographs of people, like revenge porn, that is probably a, a, a proper and, and necessary use of government authority because it, it's one thing for, here's the thing, all politicians should be able to be skewered and deep faked and, and all that kind of stuff. I think that they should be, they're, they're not off limits. But regular people who might have pornographic images, this was a real issue, a case of a, of yeah. a school where like, you know, girls, underage girls had that stuff created and shared and it destroyed their life and their yeah. reputation. I mean, that might be a better use of your time, but maybe less popular. I don't know. Yeah, I think, you know, some type of disclaimer uh, where at least people know that it's an AI generated video. I mean, there's a lot of things in a lot of part uh, pieces of that bill that we're trying to address mm -hmm. and, and make it where, you know, you don't want you don't want to suppress your First Amendment right, especially in elections. 
but you also don't want to be, be able to purposely deceive people with something that's completely computer generated and make it look like it's that person. But we also don't want content creators to to be uh, suppressed as well. That's extremely important that we don't do that. So. For sure. And the needle is important. For sure. For sure. And and we get, we're getting a lot of great comments on that this morning. Ben is one of our best, says Rare Camellia. We don't always agree 100%, but he supported AP in his Senate run. It's true. It took a lot of heat for that one. And we appreciated that. Um, and uh, someone else is asking which district he is in. Which district are you in here? 160th district. 160th district. So that covers uh, Neo Show down in uh -huh. Southwest Missouri. Uh, just Newton County, but not all of Newton County. Okay, cool. Um, who do you like for governor uh, in Missouri, Ben? We've got yeah. Jay Ashcroft, Mike Kehoe, um, uh, Bill Eigel running for governor right now. Who do, who's the most conservative? Who do you like the best? Depends on the definition of that. People have okay. varying definitions when it comes to what level okay, of conservatism. Don't get on me, Ben. Who do you like? So I, I, I don't. You know, I, I haven't picked a horse in this race. I think Ashcroft is going to win, um, and I think he's truly conservative. Uh, I haven't agreed with him on everything. Um, I probably all three of the candidates I disagree with on certain issues. Um, but I think that's kind of where I stand on this race. I think Ashcroft is going to win. Um, I do think there's a possibility, though, of some votes being split between Bill Eigel and, and Ashcroft and the possibility of Mike Kehoe eking that out. Uh, he's doing great with fundraising. Uh, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of variables on that race. But I, I think that's how I see it. OK, well, then um, you probably feel the same way as a lot of other people do. Now, in mid-Missouri, we have a congressional race coming up. Blaine Lukemeyer is retiring, uh, and several people have thrown their hat in the race for that one. Uh, Bob Onder, um, who was uh, in the Senate for a while, and uh, he's now announced that he's going for that seat. Um, I have endorsed him, just FYI. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Coleman, uh, who has also thrown her hat in the race. Uh, Taylor Burks, Brandon Wilkinson, and we may get a few others as well. Do you have a, a preference in that race? So Bob is a friend of mine and uh, also a fellow with me at the Club for Growth. Mm -hmm. uh, I think having the backing of Club for Growth is going to put him as probably the the one to beat mm -hmm. in that race so far. I, I really like Taylor Burks. Uh, I think he's a good person. I, I like his policy. I think he's just a, uh, you know, uh, what I would look at as a, as a statesman. Uh, but I think Bob Onder's the guy to beat. So that's, that's, an, it's going to be an interesting race. Yeah. Now, obviously there's a, I have a personal interest in this because Bob Onder was at my wedding. So, you know, you're always going to, you know, appreciate somebody who takes the time to do something like that. But on a professional level, there were very few people who were as out there loud and proud fighting against COVID tyranny in the state. Yes. I mean, certainly you were as well, yes. but I mean, to have a medical professional like Bob Onder speaking out as he did during the mm -hmm. pandemic, that to me is the real test of some leadership. Yes. He showed real leaderships, which, which means that if he goes to Washington DC next year, and I hope he does that I, I can trust that if something like this happens again, or there's a national emergency, Bob Anders is not just going to throw all of our liberties under yep. the bus. Uh, no, and, I think he'll be very careful to uh, to pay attention to those things. I think he'll be a great congressman. Yeah, I do too. Do you have any other legislative priorities here in Missouri that you'd like to see? I always work on stuff. Yes. I've got a parents' bill of rights I've been working on for several years now. Uh, I tend to kind of be all over the place when it comes to issues. 
Um, also, you know, the election space, working on a few of those. I've got a, a an HJR 104 that uh, effectively would prohibit ranked choice voting if the voters voted for that. But it, it really just puts our current system of voting, one, one vote per person, per candidate or issue on the ballot uh, into our constitution. Um, and so that's one that I, I think that there is actual... Uh, possibility that we could get done if if the Senate can function this year. Um, so that's one, probably my top priority that I'm working on this year. What are some of the big lessons that you've learned uh, in your time as a representative? Because I remember you came in with a full dark beard and now you, uh, yes. you're the gray man <laughs> of the House yeah. of Representatives. So uh, your, time in the that effect. your time in the legislature has really yeah. affected you, uh, I see, externally. How about internally? So I, t- I, t- I tell people this, it's the most frustrating job I've ever had, but it can also be the most rewarding. Uh, you're dealing with a, a wide variety of personalities, and it is about people. It's about relationships uh, and building coalitions to try to get things done. It's extremely uh, frustrating at times, um, but it's not supposed to be easy either. I'm a small government guy, and I think usually a new law is probably not the answer in most cases. Um, but sometimes it is. Uh, but you know, it's it's uh, it's quite a dynamic, and and especially in this time that we're in, I think that's a big part of it too. We're in such a polarizing time in politics, um, and it can take its toll on you. I mean, it it really can, as you can see, uh, it can. And I just so, I just dye my hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, but it is. I think one of the probably one of the takeaways for me that it is a negative thing is that it um, it really can it can cause a unhealthy sense of being jaded yeah. people and not trusting anyone. Uh, and I think that's a, a, a dangerous thing that we have to guard against as legislators. But it, it, on the national side of things, if you could whisper in Trump's ear and suggest a vice presidential pick out of all of the kind of likely you know names and faces, is there anybody that you particularly like? Who would you say, Mr. Trump? Here's who I would like to see. Yeah. So I like Christy Noem. Um, mm-hmm. I I like Vivek. But I think he would be much better as like a, a press secretary. Uh, than he would as as vice president. I really would like to see him as the chairman of the uh, Republican National Committee. Uh, I think he would be great at that as well. I think his youth and his ability to articulate issues is, uh, in most cases, probably no one is better at articulating some of those things. I think Trump needs that. Um, I think if he really could use that kind of um, ability to to get his message out. And I think even through the, the presidential election to this point, I think it was, I still believe that it could have been that. Like, look, I need you to actually come and articulate some of these. Th- you know, Trump has his own way when he does a rally or whatever of talking and people love it and they cheer him and whatever, but he can't explain the issues in detail and as quickly and, and with wit and everything like, uh, like Vivek can. So I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind that. Uh, but I, I I think his time is is probably not quite yet when it comes to some of those things. Uh, ben needs more life experience. OK, yeah, I can I can get that. I heard that a lot myself. Uh, tell me this. Um, you have a new podcast. I do. I'm excited to hear about this. I just found out this morning. Tell us about your new show. Yeah. So I've been wanting to do this for years. Uh, and I had some of the equipment that a friend of mine has a podcast and he upgraded and I, I bought that equipment from him and had some of it. Um, and then finally this year I said, I've got to do this. And so in October, uh, is when we launched the man cave caucus podcast. You can find that on Apple, uh, iTunes, as well as Spotify and several other places as well. 
Uh, but we, we kind of, so it's a friend of mine, Tim Holden, that is on there with me. And this guy I used to work with years ago. Uh, he's just a funny guy. He's, he's witty. But he, I wanted this dynamic of like, you know, I'm in politics and, and, you know, paying attention to all the issues and all the things that go on with that. And he represents kind of the average person out there that's not really paying attention to politics that much, uh, but has kind of that perspective of, oh, I've never heard about that, you know, and ask questions kind of from that perspective. But our our podcast isn't just about politics either. Of course, we talk about politics, uh, but we talk about a wide variety of issues and things and, you know, just current events, funny stories. I, I call it the Florida man-esque stories, <laughs> you know. And try to be entertaining because I think if if you ha- you've got to be entertaining and and funny for people to pay attention and want to listen, but also be able to use that uh, to inform people. One of the problems I think as a representative many times is we have very little opportunity to have a long form content on d- you know diving deeper into issues and really explaining some of those things. Uh, and now with the ability to get your message out and and not be censored by the mainstream media and all of that. I think is so important. That's why I really appreciate what you do with what you produce in, in this show. Um, so that's why we did it. And I think we're uh, 20 episodes now will we'll be this week. So once so, a week, yes, the Man Cave Caucus. Once a week on Mondays. But now during session, I'm doing a midweek minute, like a shorter episode, like 20, 30 minutes. And I usually try to tackle one issue. Like last week, we talked about gambling in Missouri, we talked about sports betting, we talked about VLTs. And I had an expert come on with me and we talked about that issue. Cool. Uh, so the midweek is kind of more so Missouri specific politics or issues that, that I think people are talking about and they need to know more information. About. That sounds so great. So the man, the man Cave Caucus on Apple once a week, plus a little midweek update that you're doing yes. as well. You can download it on Apple, Spotify, yep, all, all of the, the the podcasts. All right, guys, there you go. You got a new podcast to download. Uh, Representative Ben Baker from Missouri. We appreciate him very much. Make sure you click like, subscribe to the channel, and then head over to his podcast. Give it a download. Um, ben, anything else you want to share with our listeners before I we let you go? It. I really appreciate you having me on today. Yeah. And Thanks, you can Austin. follow you on uh, Twitter or yes. X at... If you so dare. Yes. At Ben Baker Mo. Yes, there you go. One of the most conservative politicians in the state of Missouri, which I guess would make him one of the most conservative in the country. Ben Baker. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Austin. Yep, we'll look forward to having you back again real soon. Good luck in the legislature. Thank you. All right. There you go. You can just saunter off. OK, there you go. Have a good one. We appreciate that. What do you guys think of Ben Baker? Click like subscribe to the channel. And send us a text. Let us know. 573-319-1586 is the text line. There it is right down there. You guys excited to hear from Judge Andrew Napolitano in about 10 minutes? We're going to hear from the judge about the disgorgement, which is kind of weird and gross sounding to me, of Donald Trump's hundreds of millions of dollars that he will be forced to pay immediately, according to Judge Engeron in New York City, where he lost a trial that will force him to pay over $355 million, an unbelievable amount of money. We'll be talking to Judge Napolitano about that, as well as many other things. Thank you very much to all of the listeners who are uh, who have supported the Wake Up America show financially this morning, because that meant that you got to unlock our bonus content. And since you unlocked it so early, I will play it out a couple of times, perhaps maybe at least one more time, before the end of the show, the content this week for our bonus content is the least libertarian presidents in U.S. history. Today's show, was a mini documentary, was about Lyndon Baines Johnson, which I know 
many of you are not big fans of, obviously, which is why we decided to do a nice little chronicle of him. I think that you guys appreciate that. Uh, and I'm glad that you uh, unlocked it. So I will be um, playing that again at least one more time before the end of the show, possibly twice. Uh, and at 8.30 a.m. today, we're going to speak to Maggie Anders. She's going to talk to us today about the president of Argentina, Javier Malay, who is in Washington, D.C. right now. We all love us some Javier, don't we? How big a Javier Malay fan are you really, though? Well, I think you're probably a huge fan because we've added a new bestsellers collection on the uh, Wake Up America show's merchandise shop. And as you can see on the screen right now, if you're watching us live, uh, Javier Malay, so hot right now. So this is just a list of all of our top selling products for the week. And as you can see, the number one best-selling product on the on the uh, AP for Liberty shop website is Javier Malay hoodies. People love them some Javier Malay, man. So the number one seller at the shop this week is the Javier Malay Afuera hoodie. Uh, number two is the Afuera t-shirt. Uh, Madisonian Mornings, my newest coffee blend, which I know many people are really excited to try. Five-star review from me. Absolutely delicious. Uh, Founding Flavors Coffee, Thomas's Painkiller up there. Uh, and our hop. I was shocked that we sold so many of these Javier Malay Bomber Tribute Jackets. I just I just know that this weekend at CPAC, when Javier Malay is there, somebody's going to be walking around with one of my Bomber Tribute Jackets. How cool would it be if a video or a picture came out and somebody's wearing their Javier Malay Bomber Jacket and they're getting it signed by Javier Malay? Wouldn't that be cool? Or even just a hoodie or a t-shirt. That'd be awesome. Uh, Ur's mommy says that my son loves his Malay sweater. Well, thank you very much, Ur's mommy. We appreciate that. We're glad that he does. Uh, so yeah, people love the Javier Malay collection. We've also got Viva La Libertad Carajo shirts as well. Uh, and somebody purchased a uh, Javier Malay Fuera mug as well. So if you want to save a little bit of cash, but still get that Javier Malay goodness. We have a whole collection, including jewelry. The Viva La Libertad Carajo horizontal bar necklace you can get. Remember, when you see the prices, that all of that includes shipping. So you can get it in multiple colors and uh, designs for your Javier. Get scratch that Javier Malay uh, itch. Uh, JJ4884 says uh, CPAC got Malay to speak. Yes, they did on Saturday. That's right. He's going to be speaking to the Conservative Political Action Conference this Saturday. Today, we're going to speak to Maggie Anders about his trip to Washington, D.C., and a little bit of good news. Apparently, Argentina has a budget surplus, surplus for the very first or for the first time in 12 years. Argentina has a budget surplus. Now, they're still struggling with crippling inflation, and he has a lot of challenges in order to get his budget passed and to get his uh, agenda across the finish line because he doesn't have a party that controls the government in Argentina. So uh, it's not all hearts and roses down there, but it has been exciting to see the very first libertarian president of a country anytime in history. And we are truly inspired by what Javier Malay has been able to accomplish in Argentina. When we come back, Judge Andrew Napolitano to talk about Donald Trump's disgorgement. This is kind of gross. I need a... That is an awe, but an uh, Donald Trump's disgorgement when we get back with Judge Napolitano on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. 
Good morning, Rise and Freedom. Sometimes I wish those commercial breaks were longer because I have such great conversations with my next guest, who I know everybody's tuning in from all over the world to listen to, including Argentina. I see you guys going international. Nice to see you here. I know many of you are excited to hear about Javier Malay's trip to Washington, D.C. We're going to get to that in about 30 minutes. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about liberty on the home front. Donald Trump's disgorgement. That's kind of a weird word to use for essentially what amounts to a shakedown. My next guest is the host of the Judging Freedom podcast, which you can download on any of your mobile devices. But I probably don't need to plug it because millions of people are tuning in to hear that show every week. So you probably know him even better than you know me. Judge Andrew Napolitano, his weekly column you can read at JudgeNap.com. He's joining us live right now on the show. Good morning, Judge. Nice to see you there, sir. Austin, for some reason, I can't see you anymore. I don't know what happened, but I'm here. <laughs> okay, well, we can see you, and and uh, everything seems to be working on our end, so I'm sorry that you can't see us, but um, as long as you can hear me, Judge, then we should be able to get through this okay. You can hear me all right, right? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, good. Well, we'll just pretend that you can see me, Judge. Um, the, uh, the Trump verdict uh, of the $355 million that he's ordered to pay, is he being ordered to to pay that immediately? What's happening? Well, when the government or when anybody gets a, uh, a judgment against you, they have the uh, opportunity to execute on the judgment or to wait until an appellate court ratifies it. So uh, Trump has indicated he wants to appeal. The appeal is just the filing uh, of a two-page document. Uh, saying notices hereby served that we are filing an appeal. That does not stop the execution. In order to stop the execution, he would have to, you ready for this? Pay $400 million in cash into the court's bank account or purchase a bond, which is an insurance policy for $400 million, naming the court as the beneficiary, pledge real estate to secure the bond, and pay premiums on the bond until the appellate court rules. Now, usually when something like this happens, the successful plaintiff says, okay, we're not going to execute on the judgment because you're not going anywhere. We're going to file the judgment, which would prevent you from selling any uh, real estate or liquidating your assets, but we're not going to execute on it. We're not going to seize your bank accounts until after the appellate division rules. Uh, but this adversary is not playing nice with Donald Trump. The attorney general announced yesterday that they have begun the process for execution. Now, the process for execution consists literally in seizing assets. Forbes magazine, which has a team that monitors Trump's wealth, uh, estimates that his uh, liquid assets are about $410 million. Between the two E. Jean Carroll verdicts against him, that's the one for sexual assault and the one for defamation. Uh, they total about $85 million. And now this one for $355 million plus interest at 9% per annum uh, calculated daily. So this one continues to go up. He's well, he owes well in excess of what his liquid assets are. So uh, it's really an economic decision from, uh, for him from this point as to what to do to stop this execution, what to pledge that will satisfy the court uh, that he is good for the 400 million and that they should hold off on allowing the execution 
until after an appellate court hears the case. This is quite terrifying to see if they can do this to Donald Trump, they could do this to any of us. One of the words of the year, I I think, that people are throwing around is lawfare that is being engaged against him. I've seen it happen to other politicians as well. They're effectively bankrupting him in order to stop him from his campaign for president of the United States. What would you do if you were Donald Trump right now? What would be the wisest course of action, in your opinion? Well, I would do a couple of things. One, he's already doing, which is making political uh, hay out of this, uh, something he's extremely adept at. Uh, secondly, I would post that bond to prevent the state from uh, from executing. He has an excellent relationship with Deutsche Bank, which is the bank that the state says was defrauded here, even though the Deutsche Bank executives testified as witnesses for Trump in the case and said, A, he was a great client. B, he paid back everything we uh, loaned to him uh, with interest and on time. See, he was such a good client. If he ever wants to go back into this business after the presidency, we'd be happy to lend money to him again. So uh, I would go to uh, Deutsche Bank and either borrow the $400 million and deposit it in the court's uh, account uh, or use um, a line of credit at uh, Deutsche Bank to secure the um, insurance policy that state law requires. And then I would prosecute the appeal. Um, The trial judge in this case was appealed six times, twice before the trial and four times during the trial. All six times he was reversed by the same panel of four uh, appellate division judges each time and the same panel that will hear the appeal. So the chances of Trump uh, succeeding in either vacating this or uh, knocking it down radically, I think, are pretty good. But, you know, from the moral perspective, Austin, this is an absolute theft. Uh, In the Anglo-American system of jurisprudence, you can't sue somebody unless they've harmed you, not harmed somebody else. The state was not able to show any harm here whatsoever. If Trump becomes president of the United States, will he be granted any powers that he could use to rescue himself? Not from this case, no. Uh, he, he will have powers that he could use to rescue himself from the two federal prosecutions. He could simply say to his attorney general, move to dismiss these two uh, cases, um, fire the uh, people that are prosecuting me or reassign them. Don't take their jobs from them. Uh, that's be done with a phone call. But in terms of this New York state case, in terms of the criminal trial that's starting in New York in a month on uh, March 25th, in terms of the uh, crazy and getting crazier Georgia criminal trial in Atlanta, he has no uh, power over those uh, whatsoever because those are sovereign, nominally sovereign today, but sovereign states that are pursuing him. Judge, I'd like to um, switch subjects here to something um, related to our civil liberties. Uh, you and I, I spent the early part of my political career buttressing the campaigns of presidential candidate Ron Paul from 2008 until 2012. Both of these campaigns, you and Congressman Ron Paul are very simpatico on your views, which is how you and I have come to be good friends over the years and how we work together at the Fox Business Network. One of his most famous and popular quotes, truth is treason. 
in the empire of lies not only is applicable in the case that I'm about to bring up, but I think is applicable in uh, the world that we live in right now. One man who's, who uh, said the truth, nothing but the truth about what the United States government has done in regards to foreign policy, in regards to the murdering of journalists overseas during the campaigns in Iraq and Afghanistan, Julian Assange who did nothing more but reveal crimes that were committed by the U.S. government and did nothing but embarrass U.S. politicians like Hillary Clinton and many others, uh, is now set to be prosecuted by the Biden administration. What are your expectations for the outcome of this case? Well, my expectations are not good. I know the case very well. You may remember when we uh, worked together uh, at Fox on. Um, uh, on the show that we did that we actually interviewed Julian Assange once and we interviewed his lawyers uh, several times. I'm very, very familiar with the case. Um, uh, I don't think he'll prevail. I think he will be extradited uh, to the United States uh, and I think he will be prosecuted here. In my opinion, the entire prosecution is ill-advised and unlawful because the Pentagon Papers case that's the Daniel Ellsberg episode, states very clearly that if a publisher acquires material matters that are of material interest to the public, uh, the publisher is immune from civil and criminal liability for the publication of those materials. Daniel Ellsberg stole uh, 7,000 pages of documents from the Defense Department, which revealed that uh, LBJ and his lawyers were, uh, his, sorry, his generals were lying um, uh, to the American public about the progress or lack of progress in the Vietnam War. The, this revelation came out during the Nixon administration. President Nixon's uh, Department of Justice succeeded in getting a federal judge in uh, Manhattan who had been appointed by Nixon to enjoin the New York Times and the Washington Post from publishing this information. Uh, the Times and the Post appealed to the intermediate appellate courts called the Second Circuit in New York and the D.C. Circuit in Washington. Supreme Court reached down to those two appellate courts and took the cases away from them and ruled within a week. This is, the, this is unheard of in the modern era uh, that the Times and the Post could publish these materials. And the famous Pentagon Papers case uh, was published. And that famous opinion protects publishers. Uh, how the government gets around that, uh, they, they will claim that Julian Assange was the thief, uh, that he actually participated in computer hacking, for which there's no evidence whatsoever. The thief here, Daniel Ellsberg in the Pentagon Papers case, and I'll tell you how his case ends up. Uh, the thief here was uh, Bradley, now known as Chelsea Manning. Bradley uh, Manning was a, a private in the army who got this stuff and sent it to Julian Assange. Manning was uh, convicted of espionage and sentenced to 45 years in a military prison. That 45-year uh, term was commuted by President Obama after he served uh, five years. Uh, so the, the thief will testify that he was the thief and not Julian Assange. In the Pentagon Papers case, Ellsberg was on trial for espionage when the FBI 
raided his psychiatrist's office, literally broke in. Today, they would do it by computer hacking. But in those days, they had to break in. They broke in. They stole his records. This happened during the trial, literally while the trial was going on. Defense counsel told the uh, trial judge, the trial judge threw the case out. The government decided not to appeal. So these uh, these things don't always make uh, good law, but the Pentagon Papers case is still still good law. There's a very famous colloquy in the Pentagon Papers case. Now, when there's oral argument in the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court doesn't publish the oral argument. It publishes its opinion that it derives after the oral argument is over. But in this case, they published a famous colloquy between Justice Douglas, the civil libertarian on the court in that era, and the government's lawyer. And Douglas says, let me read the First Amendment to you. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Now my question to you, Mr. Solicitor General, does no law really mean no law? (laughs) Solicitor General couldn't answer that question. No law really does mean no law, but Congress has written many, many laws abridging the freedom of speech, going all the way back to the Alien and Sedition Act of uh, 1798. Judge, uh, (laughs) great, uh, great uh, explanation of this case. And I know that it is one that you know deeply and intensely because we have studied it and and we have been uh, professional credentialed journalists reporting on this story. We interviewed Julian Assange, we interviewed his lawyers uh, and many of the people surrounding this case and we've covered it extensively. Very, very few people understand it as well or intimately as you do. The question of though, what is a credible or credentialed journalist is is one that is, is, it seems to be the crux of the case here, because what the government seems to be arguing is that Julian Assange is not a real journalist. Well, Judge, was I a real journalist only because I worked at the Fox Business Network with you for two years? And did I stop being a journalist journalist after that? Am, am I not doing journalism right now just because I'm the host of my own podcast and it's not a broadcast uh, medium. I mean, what is it? the difference between what Julian Assange has done and what I'm doing right now or what you do with judging freedom? I, I, is it truly like, does it have more legal precedent to protect? Are we more protected if we work at Fox than we are now? I suppose it's an easier argument to make uh, if we work at mainstream media, but there's no uh, requirement for uh, employment. It's a pretty low bar. I mean, anybody who gathers uh, information and, and reveals it or expresses an uh, opinion and does it on a regular basis uh, is a journalist. I mean, if WikiLeaks is not journalism, their, their whole uh, reason for existing uh, is exposing the excesses uh, of government. Look, the government got burned here. Uh, the government was revealed as lying, cheating, stealing, killing, murdering, and laughing about it. Um, the former head of the CIA, also the former Secretary of State, now known as Dancing Pompeo, after that uh, repellent uh, video of him dancing with IDF killers, uh, uh, plotted to assassinate uh, Julian Assange because of the embarrassment he brought them. This is nothing more um, than a burnt. Uh, exposed, lying, cheating, stealing, killing government trying to get back at the person who uh, exposed them. 
Uh, he's as much a journalist as anybody who's ever called themselves a journalist. Judge, one of our listeners um, sent in a question for you. Mighty Megatron asks, this is for the judge. Can the judge in the Trump ruling be disbarred? And what would be the process? Well, not for this ruling. I mean, judges are, you're, you're talking now about the, the $355 million verdict. Correct, Judge. Uh, the judges are immune uh, from civil and criminal and ethical consequences for uh, what they do uh, on the bench. I mean, even though this was a show trial, it had the earmarks of a trial. Trump was there. He did have lawyers. They were allowed to present evidence and cross-examine uh, the government's uh, witness. Uh, the remedy here is reversal, uh, not, uh, not disbarment. Okay, there we go. Um, Judge, your column this week at judgenap.com deals with this same topic. Uh, and you talk about the harm principle in this. Would you like to give us a little preview? Yeah, the harm principle uh, basically uh, states that, um, you know, where there's a wrong, there's a remedy. But r the, the essence of wrongness is harm. So if a person has not been harmed by what the defendant did, they don't have the right to sue anybody. So if I punch you in the nose, you can sue me for the pain and suffering and permanent injury, if there is any, to your nose. But your wife who doesn't like the way your nose looks can't sue me because I didn't breach any duty to her. I have a duty not to punch you in the nose. I also have a duty not to punch her in the nose. I did not comply with that duty with respect to you but I did comply with the duty with respect to her. Stated differently, I didn't cause her any harm. Trump didn't cause the government any harm. Where there is no harm, there is no wrong. And where there is no wrong, there can be no remedy. Um, it's interesting. The definition of fraud was uh, botched by this trial judge. So this is the, this is the hook on which the Trump lawyers should hang their hat. They don't need me to tell them this. They must know this when they file the appeal. Fraud is defined as a material misrepresentation made in order to induce reliance and where there was reliance that caused harm. The version of this uh, definition that the judge cited dropped the detrimental reliance part because there was no detrimental reliance by the state. The state is a stranger to the transactions between Deutsche Bank and uh, the Trump organization. So without any detrimental reliance by the state and without any palpable, measurable harm to the state, there's no case. Bingo. That's the appeal. Judge, I love these philosophy questions that get into legal analysis, but I'd like to ask you a political question for just a moment. If you would wade into these shallow waters from the depths of philosophy, as we have, uh, Donald Trump is having a conversation publicly about a short list of potential vice presidential picks. Uh, I have my favorite on this list because they, the, the person who I like is most closely uh, aligned with our principles. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy has been named as a potential vice presidential pick in a conversation that Trump had yesterday with our former colleague, Laura Ingram. Um, also listed were Christy Noam, Tim Scott, uh, uh, and Ron DeSantis as well. If you had to pick uh, out of that list, I know that you gave him some advice for Supreme Court picks and 
certainly that was some terrific advice, Judge. Who would you advise him to pick for his vice presidential candidate? None of the above. Really? <laughs> I'm sorry. Ron for Paul's a neo or our neocons and once the most annoying person on the planet. <laughs> but that that's just uh, that's just me. <laughs> well, Judge, I, I understand. I just when I saw that Vivek Ramaswamy had spent some time with Congressman Ron Paul and uh, was courting libertarians and has been very vehemently non-interventionist on foreign policy. Um, he, he got me very excited. It was it was good to see that there was someone who was still representing our ideas. He's not. Um, a Theodore Roosevelt conservative he, or, or a populist, right? He's not a he's not a, a um, what you might call a, a progressive, as you and I know and, and understand the true definition of that term. He is not a progressive, as many Republicans are these days, uh, which is why I personally liked him. But um, but, you know, well, I, I, un- I understand your attraction to him. I also understand that uh, this type of decision is not who's the best in the world. It's who's right. the best from among this, uh, from among this group. Mm. Um, I, I don't know what uh, Trump is going to do. This is not the type of thing that he would, uh, he would call on me to uh, give him my thoughts. You think he might call on you though, to give his thoughts on uh, any new Supreme court justice picks? Well, if he's elected, he probably will. He did. Uh, he did for the three that he chose. Yes. He interviewed me twice, as you know, for two of those uh, seats and chose other people. <laughs> uh, we would have been so much better off the, with you uh, rather than Kavanaugh or Amy Coney Barrett. What a much freer world this would be. Uh, Judge, tell us about your show and who you have coming up on your excellent Judging Freedom podcast. Uh, yesterday, I had uh, Jeff Sachs, Professor Sachs, and Scott Ritter. Tomorrow, I have uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, and Friday, the great Professor John uh, Mearsheimer. Today, uh, I have, forgive me, his name is escaping me, but he's the brother of Julian Assange, who spent all day uh, yesterday and all day today, London time, uh, in the courtroom. They also have Phil Giraldi, a uh, retired ex-CIA, who loves to expose to people what the CIA is up to. Good stuff, Judge. I can't wait to see it. Thank you very much for your time today. Pleasure, Rustin. All the best. See you next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, I will see you. I'm not sure what happened this time, but as long as you can see me, that's that's all that's needed. It all worked just fine, Judge. Thank you very much for your time today and being so generous with us. We look forward to watching your show a little bit later. Have a good one, Judge. You too. There you go. Judge Andrew Napolitano, what did you think? Send us a text at 573-319-1586 with what's on your mind. All right, it's time for us to talk Javier Malay. He's come to Washington, D.C. Will he meet with Donald Trump? How's the economy in Argentina doing since he took over? All the ins and outs, the ups and downs, no ifs, ands, or buts. Well, maybe a few buts. Big ones on the Wake Up America show at (laughs) wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, rise and freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. What'd you guys think of Judge Napolitano? Boy, that's great, isn't it? Every Wednesday, the judge joins us. We call it Big Brain Time, where we get into the nitty gritty of politics. And not only do we talk about the surface level stuff, but we really dive deep into the issues and not just a recitation of the facts, but the philosophy and the principles behind them. Because here on the Wake Up America show, we care very deeply about the ideas of 
economic freedom, and personal liberty. And I know that you do too. So click that like button and subscribe to the channel. Come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time when we stream this show live. It's a great way to start your day. Stay informed, get great interviews, big topics, and of course, a little bit of humor and, you know, some jokes and some fun. So, all right. Well, you all know what a big fan I have become of the new president of South America. And I think he's kind of a fan of mine as well. I mean, I am one of the only Americans that he retweets consistently, but I think it's because I probably produce the coolest Javier Malay merchandise that there is in the entire United States. Hell, I'm selling that stuff in Sweden and Switzerland. So don't forget to check out the shop if you're a Javier Malay fan, too, at AP4LibertyShop.com. My next guest, she's been following what's going down there in Argentina. She spent a little bit of time, and now she's back in the States, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about Javier Malay goes to Washington, D.C. Her name is Maggie Anders, and she's joining us live right now. Is it Anders or is it Anders? It's Anders. And Anders. thank you so much for having me on today. I'm going to have to check out your Javier Malay merch. I, I should have brought it, but I have a bucket hat from the night he won. They were just throwing them out into the crowd. Um, it was, it was epic. It doesn't look very good on me. I'm, I'm, I don't wear bucket hats well, but I'm proud to, I'm proud to own it. So well, you, you have your own fan base quest fannings, uh, dropped in the tip jar says, please tell Maggie. I say hi quest is a big fan of Hello, yours. <laughs> I'm a big fan of quest. Oh, yes. Well, we are all very grateful because Quest is a great supporter of the arts. Um, uh, Maggie, uh, he goes to Washington, D.C. He meets with Marco Rubio, of all people, which kind of surprised me. I know Marco Rubio has never been a big fan of people like ours in the past, people yeah. who believe what we believe. But you know what? Politics is politics. Yeah, absolutely. And isn't Mar isn't Marco Rubio Cuban? Do I have that right? Yes. That's yes. probably the connection there. So mm -hmm. he's probably a hater of communism, specifically communism, Latin America style. So maybe there's some kind of alliance naturally happening there. Um, and Javier Malay, I don't think is an, is the kind of guy to shy away from meeting anyone. He's met with a lot of people that others have criticized him for. I mean, hello, Bill Clinton. So, you know. I think yeah. he's willing to shake hands and, and talk with just about anybody. Yeah. The latest rumor is that he is going to be meeting with Donald Trump this weekend yeah. while he's in town for CPAC. P on the big picture side of this, Maggie, and I'd love to have you speak to this. People are looking at the potential for Donald Trump to win his election. Um, Javier Malay to team up with Trump, Geert Wilders of the Netherlands. Uh, Georgia Maloney of Italy, Bolsonaro in Brazil, uh, Naya Bukele of El Salvador for a global anti-globalist coalition of uh, the likes that we've never seen before. Is that something that uh, that you has been on your radar as well? Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. You know, I think they're all natural allies in that they're very anti-establishment. But I think Javier Malay um, ideologically is a bit separate from them. What I'm hoping for is that Millet influences all of these guys to start slashing bureaucracy. I mean, that's really what he's done best, what, two months into his presidential term. Um, and, you know, one thing I really love about Millet, and I've said this a million times, is that he just knows his stuff. He's a brilliant economist. Um, which makes him a very eloquent speaker. He's also very charismatic, obviously. So those two things 
uh, teamed up, make him a very eloquent and influential speaker. So I'm hoping that he can have some free market influence on these other guys. Cause Malay is not necessarily, um, anti-free trade. Like he's very pro free trade. Um, but I do think he is anti WEF and, and like, you know, having one centralized power ruling the world. Yeah, he's been getting a lot of criticism, not just from the left, who were never going to like Javier Belay, but from some people on the right for the simple fact that he spoke to uh, the Davos crowd at the World Economic Forum, never mind that he read them the Riot Act, um, but that he met with the Pope. Uh, and even though the Pope is from Argentina, you know, he's criticized him in the past. But in some ways, I think Javier Malay kind of shows us libertarians, liberty lovers here in the United States you know, constitutional conservatives, a, a model for how to behave if we do get elected or if we want to get elected, does he not? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing, like he is not, he doesn't mince his words. He's not going into these rooms and being like, oh, so nice to meet you. You're amazing. I love you. Like he, he goes into these rooms and tells them like it is. I mean, with the WEF speech, that was such an awesome moment, I think, for all of us who have been really big fans of his, um, who have, you know, you and I have both have probably received the litany of comments like he's a puppet of the WEF. Well, clearly he proved he's not. And there's no way to achieve real success unless you're willing to go into the lion's den and say your piece. And he does it really well. Um, I'm really glad he met with the Pope as a libertarian Catholic. Uh, that was a great moment for me. And also, I, might I add, he brought my favorite Argentine lemon cookies. So that picture of them was just like a sign from God that things are going to be okay. Um, you know, the, the libertarian leader, the leader of Catholics, and then my favorite cookies. So, okay. Well, I've been uh, thinking about sending like Javier a, a care package of, of merch from my shop. And we have a, an oven mitt that says less government, more cookies. So I should probably include that in there for you him. Should, you should include that. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, if you're just tuning into the wake up America show, good morning. I'm Austin Peterson. We're glad to have you here. I'm speaking to Maggie Anders about Javier Malay's trip to Washington, D.C., uh, but on the home front, in regards to his actual accomplishments, um, I'm seeing a story that says that this is the first time that Argentina has seen a budget surplus in, what, over a dozen years? What's this story? Yeah. Yeah. So since 2011, it's been, or yeah, maybe that's the first January. It's a monthly budget surplus, right? So that means that Argentina has reined in the spending, which is amazing. Um, that's usually the hardest thing to cut for, for most leaders um, who claim to be pro-free markets. Spending is the hard thing to cut because it means that people aren't getting the dough that they used to. So he's, you know, significantly slash spending. Um, and he has kind of leveled the playing field when it comes to taxes. Now that might be controversial among libertarians, but he is essentially trying to level everything out so it's less complicated. And also they're bringing in enough revenue to pay off what they're spending. Um, and, you know, that that monthly surplus was five hundred and eighty nine million dollars, which is a pretty sizable chunk. Um, and they also managed to pay off interest on their debt. 
um, a little bit about their debt. So this doesn't mean that they've paid off all of their debt, right? As of September, 2023, Argentina owed about $406.9 billion. And a large chunk of that was coming uh, from this IMF loan that they got in, I think, 2018. Um, and that's been like a really significant source of stress and contempt for Argentines, this loan. Um, so the fact that we're we're now paying off interest on this debt and they're renegotiating it, Luis Caputo, who is the economy minister, is excellent. I thought that was a really amazing choice for Javier Malay because he's really well connected um, and very charismatic. He has this um, really interesting reputation among Argentines is the guy that can seal like any deal kind of Trump style. Um, so this is all really good news and it's basically what Malay promised. And the fact that they're doing a monthly budget surplus looks really, really good to foreign investors. So, you know, um, I know we spoke before this about poverty rates. So obviously things Things are not looking so good on the ground for people, but um, this is all hopefully um, if we're able to do what we want to do in Argentina, it's going to level out eventually and you're going to see prosperity in Argentina like you've never seen before. Yeah, that was going to be my next question there for you, Maggie. Um, interestingly enough, you know, coming back to my, my Javier Malay merchandise. I, I sell Javier Malay hoodies and T-shirts and uh, vanity plates for vehicles, uh, and I sell them not only here in the United States, but I sell them in Sweden and Switzerland, and I've sold them to Germany and France, but I have not sold a single Javier Malay item in his home country. Just that coming despite the fact that Javier Malay will post my, my merchandise, share it out everywhere. The, the number two traffic driver to my website comes from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Not a single Argentine has been able to purchase my items. And at first I wondered why, but then when you see headlines like these, you realize the enormity of the scope of yeah. what Argentina really faces. Six out of every 10 Argentines are poor. Their poverty level is 57.4%. It's a 20 year high. He's got some massive challenges down there to be able to have people to be able to have the disposable income for what is truly frivolities like these kinds of purchases. Absolutely. So that number might be shocking. Um, and it, it still is shocking when when you compare it to what the poverty rates were before he took office, which was about 40 percent, maybe more. Um, but you have to think about it like this. Uh, the co the comedian Tim Dillon has this really great bit called fake business. Right. Um, and it's just like, he, he jokes about running this fake business. That's like built off scamming people and just like having an office and doing nothing, just making phone calls all day, but like no, no actual, um, transactions are taking place and everything. Um, that's what I like to think about. Um, when I look at the Argentine economy before Malay, um, it was basically a fake economy. So one of the first things Malay did when he got into office was he devalued the peso. That sounds bad. However, the peso was about a third to a half of what it was actually worth in U.S. dollars. So for an example, um, the first like the second time I went over there, 
the exchange rate was about one US dollar to 300 something Argentine pesos. The actual rate, the dollar blue or gray or black market rate, the real rate was about one US dollar to roughly 900 Argentine pesos. Um, and I'm sure there's some technical reasons why they were, how they were able to artificially keep this number at 300 something, but it's a fake number, right? And Javier Malay is trying to get it back to where those things are in equilibrium. Um, but what that means for regular people is that prices are going to go up. Um, he's also taken off a lot of price controls in general. Um, my family down there, it's my boyfriend's family, but I consider them family. Um, they are having a really hard time and they're all professionals, right? Um, they all have really good jobs and rent prices are skyrocketing. Um, grocery store prices are skyrocketing, but you know, Malay has this quote. Um, let me pull it up super quick. The true inheritance of the caste model, six out of every 10 Argentines are poor. The destruction of the last hundred years is unparalleled in Western history. He has been saying this is going to happen um, from the moment he started running, right? Like this comes as no surprise to people, maybe some who just like haven't been paying attention, but it's not a big shock to anyone. And the, the truth of the matter is, is that the economy was going to get this way, whether or not there were the Malay reforms. Um, the only, only way for the economy to truly revive is through what Malay is doing, which is clearing out all of this junk um, so that foreign investments feel safe and secure investing in Argentina's economy. And so that regular people in the ground are able to start businesses and start investing and save money. What a crazy idea, saving money. Yeah, that's 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 essentially what he wants to do is just like open the floodgates um, for prosperity. One thing I wanted to talk to you about that I don't know if I've mentioned on your show before. Argentina has some is like one of the richest countries in terms of natural resources in the world, in the world. Like they have one of the largest oil and gas reserves in the entire world. And a lot of that is relatively untapped because of all of these regulations on top of regulations on top of regulations. And any business that wants to come into the country is going to face a lot of hardship because the previous government would just immediately tack on like random nonsensical regulations that completely handicap their business. So all of this to say, yes, Argentina is very poor, but that's the inheritance of the caste model, right? That's the inheritance of the caste that was robbing regular Argentines every single day. So it's very unfortunate right now. And, you know, I would really urge those of you who pray to pray for people on the ground um, that they're able to make it by. Uh, Malay and his his people are predicting that things are going to start to rebound pretty soon. So I'm I'm hopeful, and I think his appearance at CPAC and these other big um, big forums where the entire world is watching because that's what happened with the WEF. I think really that's a bat signal to entrepreneurs to start investing. 
I really think that's the true purpose is that's why he's building these relationships so they can bring in this foreign investment to really jumpstart the economy. So no, if you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm Austin Peterson. I'm speaking to Maggie Anders about Javier Malay's trip to Washington, D.C. to speak at the Conservative Political Action Conference this coming Saturday. We're also talking a little bit about the domestic challenges that he faces in Argentina to fight crippling inflation. Although there have been some good news, he has managed to trim down massive government bureaucracies and create a budget surplus for the first time in almost a dozen years. Maggie's giving us a little bit of a background and history on Javier Malay, and she did spend some time in Argentina. Would you say that the average Argentine is fairly optimistic about Javier Malay, or did they just pick him, would you say, Maggie, just because they were desperate? Or do you think that they know what Javier Malay actually is trying to accomplish from a, you know, a philosophical political perspective of how you and I understand economics? Or was it just pick anybody that's the opposite of what we've had? What, what would you say from like an average person on the ground yeah. that you spoke to while you were in Argentina? You know, that's a really interesting question because I think it gets into how political movements happen. And I was talking about this yesterday. You can't have a political success until you have philosophical domination. Um, and by philosophical domination, I don't mean every single person in the country becomes a libertarian. I mean that the remnant, that that group of people who are politically active, the ones that are going on TV, the ones that are studying economics, you can't have like you can't have political success until you win those people over. And that's what Javier Malay did. You know, you have this huge youth movement um, of people who are really supportive and they're becoming really hardcore libertarians, which is amazing. And you also have these, um, business leaders who are really supportive of Javier Malay. They like, un like more than anyone else understand what the past like hundred years of Argentina have been for business leaders. Um, so yeah, like there, there is an adoption of libertarian ideals, but the remnant are those few who really, really get it. And they inspire the masses to follow. Right. So just like any political ideology, um, the people that vote for it, not everyone's really going to get it fully. Um, but I will say this, I think the majority of people that voted for Malay knew this was going to happen. Whether or not they're optimistic in the moment is hard to say on an individual basis. Um, there's a really good BBC article. I can't believe I'm saying there's a good BBC article, but BBC can be good. Um, and they interviewed several people and a lot of Malay supporters, even the ones who are struggling right now are saying, no, this needed to happen. I'm optimistic. Things are gonna be great. Um, but they interviewed a woman who sells like hair clips and stuff at markets and she's losing all of her business because people don't have disposable income and she's not optimistic, but that's okay. Um, that was always going to happen. I think Malay did a really, really, really good job of telling people exactly what to expect so that they weren't shocked. Um, you are seeing protests that was going to happen. Sometimes you have to deal with political opposition. I'm really hoping that things start to pick up 
um, in the coming months. Otherwise he could see a lot of people start to lose hope. It's only been two months and people down there really have a big window of tolerance for hardship. They really do. Um, it's one of the reasons I love Argentine so much, um, and respect them a lot more than I respect Americans. Sometimes we're used to, you know, the wonders of the free market, even though we don't really have a fully free market, we have, um, lived disposable income times yeah (laughs) we have we we're very spoiled here for sure this is so we're like we're not we're not tolerant to pain at all and they are but that doesn't mean that any of this feels good in the moment (laughs) and so like if people are upset that's okay like it's okay for them to be sad and like scared about the future but you know most people said, we're going to trust you because either way, this isn't looking great. So you're promising us something different. We're taking a leap of faith. Let's see if it works out. Maggie, this was an absolutely fantastic report. And we're grateful for you being so generous with your time and sharing this with us and your experience on the ground when you lived in Argentina for a while. Is there anything else that you'd like to share or uh, plug before we let you go today? Um. Not necessarily. Uh, I just, I think, you know, if an Argentine creator comes across your, your timeline, follow them. They have like real on the ground reports. Um, and you know, one, one account that I really love Bowtied Mara, I'll give him a shout out. Um, he's great. He's really good at reporting on Argentine culture and just like the news that's coming through and he does it in English. So that's a great person to follow if you're really interested in keeping up with what's happening on the ground. Um, if you want to go follow me, I'm at Liberty Anders on Twitter, and I would love it if you subscribe to Undoctrination on YouTube. I put out some really cool content. Um, if you're interested in Argentina, pop culture, that how that intersects with Liberty, all that good stuff, um, that would be great. And last plug. Uh, go read fee.org. We have great articles. Um, follow us on social media. Yeah. There we go. Thank you so I have much, Bowtied Mara on uh, x.com and Liberty Anders to follow her undoctrination on YouTube. Uh, yeah. And then of course we have uh, John Miltimore on every Monday at yeah. fee.org. So I've got all the plugs there in the chat. Ooh, if you're following us so live. Plugs. Uh, Maggie, thanks very much. I'm sure we're going to be watching uh, Javier Malay's speech with great anticipation. So we look forward to following your reactions to that as well. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much. Yep, We appreciate you very much. Have a wonderful day. There you go. Give it up, guys. How about a round of applause for Maggie Anders? Wasn't that great? Think about this. The Wake Up America show. I mean, I know that for many of you, you hardcore hardcores, you know uh, that this show is just consistently awesome. I mean, come on. But for the newbies, aren't you like just kind of shocked sometimes that you get such a high quality? I mean, we are just a podcast after all. It's not like we're on the BBC or Fox News or something like that. But we might as well be because we're just that damn good. We're better than a lot of mainstream media shows. Sometimes we even get more viewers. I remember one of my shows, I got actually got more uh, views than a show that was on MSNBC. (laughs) Uh, But the Wake Up America show wouldn't exist without people like yourself. It's not just me. It's the support of people like you 
who helped make it happen. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We're grateful to have you here. You guys have just been amazing unlocking all the bonus content this week. Give it up for yourselves because now the rest of the world gets to enjoy these mini documentaries as well. You'll get two more mini documentaries to unlock tomorrow, Thursday, and then Friday of the least libertarian presidents in US history. Did you like the one that we did today on Lyndon Baines Johnson? I will upload it to um, social networks later if you would like to see that again and share that with your friends. Nice little history lessons. Who will tomorrow's least libertarian president be? I'm so happy to do this as a job full time, and I'm so grateful to you to support this endeavor so that I can have conversations like we just had with Maggie Anders and Judge Napolitano. And who did we have on at 7.30 a.m. this morning? Oh, so much is happening. Ben Baker. <laughs> Austin, you got Liberty Brain. Uh, my lovely wife, Stephanie Peterson, also, I've got to give a shout out to her because I wouldn't be able to do this without her. Can you imagine telling your wife, especially now that she's pregnant, oh, honey, I'm leaving, quitting my job with health insurance and I'm going to go start a podcast to do that full time. <laughs> Please, God, let it work so far. So good. Without people like yourself, though, I wouldn't be able to do this. Spread these ideas, have these conversations, produce these mini documentaries. It's people like you that are making it happen. So one more time, thank you. You're amazing. We'll be back here tomorrow morning. Before I go, one last plug. Don't forget to check out the AP for Liberty shop. Exit through the Grift shop on the way out. AP for Liberty shop.com. Get yourself some Javier Malay merch, maybe a box of Founding Flavors coffee. It's delicious. Or maybe a custom metal sign. Have you got a beautiful barn or a garage that you'd like to put a custom patriotic metal sign on? You can do that. Put your own message on there. Maybe your family's name. Go to AP4LibertyShop.com. Grab yourself a box of coffee, a Javier Malay hoodie, and a patriotic metal sign. Why don't you do all that? Help support the ideas of economic freedom and personal liberty. And, you know, help me take care of a little baby pee for liberty that's coming. Yes, little baby. Soon. Three weeks from now. Actually, yeah, March 15th. We will make the announcement of the gender on the show. It's going to be awesome. You guys are not going to want to miss it. So make sure that you stick around and watch the show five days a week, Monday through Friday. It's the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. See you, Quest. Bye, Andy. Love you, Stephanie. Mighty Megatron. Clementine. CJ824. Look, it's Liz. Tolly. What's up, Tolly? Looking good. Look, it's Liz. And then that's me, AP. We'll see you, Guocas. Bye, Real Hunter Human. Thanks for joining us from Argentina today. Mighty Megatron and others, appreciate your support. See you tomorrow on the show.